Hi friends, I'm Rob Tigan. And I'm Joanna. And this is the Growing Home Together podcast. We're caring for the soul of your family, helping you grow closer to God and each other. Hi friends, we're so glad to have this time with you today. Now I'd like to read a little bit of what today's guests have written for us. So take a listen because I'm pretty sure that each of us can find ourselves in these words. Unforeseen pressures hit our marriages when we least expect them. Your newborn has a severe disability. An accident or illness permanently impairs the health of your spouse. You discover that your teenager has become addicted to drugs or alcohol or job loss rocks your financial foundation. An aging parent moves into your home. Your son is diagnosed with ADHD. You experience another miscarriage when you desperately long for a child. Is it possible to build a stronger marriage when you face a challenge that doesn't go away, even though you pray together and ask God to give you wisdom? Why do some marriages fall apart when life pulls savagely at them, while other couples develop a stronger bond in the face of insurmountable external pressures? Yes, and and as I look back on my life with Joanna and look at the couples around that are going through hard things, I believe those questions are two of the most important things will ever ask in our journey of marriage. And to help us answer these questions, we're thrilled to welcome Jean and Carol Kent to the show today. Yes, Carol and Jean Kent are the founders of Speak Up Ministries to equip the next generation of speakers and Speak Up for Hope, a nonprofit organization that benefits inmates and their families. Carol has authored more than 20 books, and Jean serves as Chief Operating Officer of their ministries, and together, they are the co-authors of a powerful title called Staying Power, helping us to build a stronger marriage in the worst crises that life can send our way. So thank you so much, Carol and Jean, for joining us today. Hey, we're delighted to be there, Joanna and Rob. Thank you for having us. It's an honor. Yes, and so so I know for the two of you, you didn't write your book out of just theory or good ideas. You experienced your own crisis that tested the strength of your relationship. Can you share some of your experiences and how it led for you to write this book? Well, uh, Carol and I met each other in the ninth grade in high school in a little town in Michigan. Carol's father was a pastor of a church there. And I just knew she was the new girl in class. And I was somewhat interested in her. She had red hair, you know, and so I knew she was fiery. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we didn't go to that church. Uh, My parents didn't go to church. They would send us three boys down the street to a church. And and I just remember going, you know, walking down the street and and hearing the pastor talk, but I couldn't make any sense out of it. And my dad had an ulcer, though, when I was in 11th grade, and, and he was hospitalized. While he was in the hospital, Carol's father made hospital calls, and he ended up in the room that my dad was in and invited him to church. Didn't have a chance to share the gospel with my father at that point, uh, but he invited him to church. Dad got better, came home, said, we're going to go visit this church, which was so unusual because they never went. My dad worked on the railroad. My mother worked in a battery plant. And um, as an, uh, as a 17 year old, we, I sort of looked forward to going to this church. That's where Carol was. And, <laughs> and this was the first time then that I heard a pastor open a Bible and take a passage of scripture and explain it and what it, 
what it could mean in my life. And I was very interested. But when he gave, gave that invitation to come down front and learn more about who Jesus was and what he could do for you, uh, I wasn't about to do that. Uh, anyway, three weeks later, her mom and dad came over to our house and called on the Kents. And it was on New Year's Day, of all things. My younger brothers were running around the rest of the house. Mom and dad sat around the table with Carol's mother and father. And Carol's father had his Bible out and had a coffee cup in one hand. And he began explaining from the scriptures that we were all sinners and that Christ died for that sin. And he got to the end of the presentation. I was standing there in the kitchen, too, just listening as he was explaining it all. And he looked at my father. And Carol's dad just has a sense of where people are spiritually. And he looked at my dad, this tough railroad guy, never graduated from high school. And he asked him if he was willing to get on his knees around that table and to confess his sin and ask Christ into his heart. And I thought, man, my dad's going to go crazy. And he's going to beat this guy up. And my dad said, yes, he wanted to do that. My mother said, yes. And I just spoke up and said, can I do that too? And the three of us got on our knees around the kitchen table and uh, led by Carol's dad. And we began our spiritual life right then. Well, Rob and Joanna, the exciting thing was that I was at home watching my five younger siblings and I wasn't very happy about doing that on a holiday. And mom and dad came home and told me that Jean Kent had just become a Christian. And we were in a very tiny church with a very small youth group, eight girls in the youth group, two guys, and I was not allowed to date non-Christians. So when mom and dad came home and said, Gene Kent had just become a Christian, that increased the dating pool to three, and I was motivated. Well, needless to say, we, we grew up, we went off to college, and two months after we graduated, we got married. And we had a very uh, happy life. We didn't have two dimes to rub together, but we had love, not unlike many couples listening to this podcast. And we had a supportive, wonderful Christian family uh, helping to give us some good advice along the way. Five years later, I gave birth to Jason Paul Kent, and he was a delight to raise. He wound up graduating from the U.S. Naval Academy, and from there he went to nuclear engineering school in Orlando, Florida. And he joined a church that was pastored by one of our good friends, and they had about 300 young adults studying the Bible together, and there were women in that Bible study, and Jason got very interested in one of those young women. And by the end of that summer, uh, he called home for messages and said, Mom and Dad, some things are coming down. We have to talk. And when we got a hold of us, he said, April and I are in love and we want to get married next Friday so we can go together. And what then transpired is that we asked them if they would wait for three weeks to be married in our then hometown of Port Huron, Michigan, with the accountability of family and friends around them. And they agreed. And we met not only April, but she had been previously married. So there was the little six-year-old Chelsea and three-year-old Hannah, and it did not take us long to love these beautiful three new women in our lives. Uh, April had been through a very uh, hurtful, abusive marriage, and there were multiple allegations of abuse involving the biological father of the girls. And one year into their marriage, we got a 
Paul that shocked us to our core. I'll never forget getting home from ministry in St. Louis, and we were sound asleep when at 1230 a.m. the phone rang, and I looked over as Gene picked up the receiver, and shortly thereafter, he had a look of shock and horror on his face, and he said, Carol, Jason has just been arrested for the murder of his wife's first husband. He's in the jail in Orlando. And Robin Joanna, um, this book that we're talking about, Staying Power, talks about when crisis, uh, crises that you're not expecting just knock the wind out of you. And you suddenly feel dysfunctional after having been able to put things together. Um, there are many books written about when we as couples make bad choices ourselves that wind up being very destructive, uh, like betrayal. Yeah. And we can certainly talk about a lot of those things that we, uh, of course, as husbands and wives, you know, do within our marriage and make bad decisions and uh, do things that uh, that we know better than to do. But this book is about the things from outside our marriage. So having to do with our children, with relatives, with the circumstances around us. And so we wound up going through two and a half years and seven postponements of Jason's trial. And he was convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. He had just turned 25 years old 10 days earlier. And we began our journey into what we call our new kind of normal. So that is really the situation uh, that was our personal experience that prompted the writing of this book, along with some dear friends of ours, Dave and Cindy Lambert. Oh, well, I'm sure... Um, in those early years that you were describing, you had no idea what you would be facing in your future. And not every newlywed couple has had to suffer through a crisis or a painful life event. They just haven't had enough years of sharing life together. But, you know, your book really does speak to every stage because I'm sure that there were things that you were doing in those early years that that God used to get you ready for when this this terrible and sad situation happened in your family. Um, you call them pre-decisions. I love that. You talk about these pre-decisions that every couple can make that get them ready for the tough times before they come. So we were hoping that you could explain what kind of pre-decisions you're talking about that will serve us over time. You know, something that began probably before the pre-decisions is Carol and I, when we went to college, we went to a very, very strict, conservative, legalistic college and, uh, you know, in hindsight, some of that was good. And this part was good is when, in hindsight, we, uh, when, when you went on a date on campus and you couldn't go off campus on a date unless you had a chaperone. So, you know, that's how strict it was. But they had a special uh, huge room that had couches and chairs and it was called a dating parlor. And so this does go back a few years and you can make, you could have a date with your girlfriend up in the dating parlor. And you could sit there and you could talk. All you could do was talk. You couldn't hold hands. Uh, I remember, remember the first time we went up there, I tried to put my arm up around Carol's back and hug her closely, but uh, the chaperone walked around the monitor and she tapped me on the shoulder and I looked at her and she just shook her head, no. And <laughs> <laughs> so all we could do was talk, but the good thing about that was we talked about life 
And we talked about where we wanted to go in life and how we wanted to have a relationship. You know, when we finally got to that point where we knew we were pretty hooked on each other, we, we started talking about what do we want our marriage to look like? And we started making pre-decisions way back then. One of them was, you know, that we are on the same team. It's, it often happens in marriage when a difficulty comes that you end up being at odds with each other. And, and we end up acting like that um, the other person is on the different football team than what I'm on, but we are on the same team. We're, we're working together and we need to talk enough so that when I'm hurt by something she said about how we ought to respond to this situation, we talk some more about it and we find out, well, I just didn't interpret that right. And we end up you know, learning more about how we can get through this thing together. It's great for couples to sit down and actually write out some free decisions. And one of those is, um, even when you hurt my feelings, I still love you. And just set that as one of those important decisions you make. And, and just another pre-decision is, I want you by my side and we will work this out no matter how long it takes. I am committed to being in this together with you. We will work this out. And I think if we are Christians, it's so important to look to the Bible. And I love the scripture from John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And if we realize that when we know Jesus and when we resolve that no matter how difficult the situation is, and Joanna, you so beautifully introduced this interview by talking about you can have a child born with a disability, um, uh, you, your child might have autism and it might cause stress in your marriage and you want the best for each other and for that child, or there may be financial challenges, or in our case, you have an incarcerated uh, loved one, a child. And uh, in Dave and Cindy, our co-authors lives, they wound up struggling because they had a drug addicted adult son who had a child and they were worried for that child and they wound up parenting that little girl into her college years, which she is in right now. And so that was one of those things that brought us together to just sitting down as two couples talking about what are those pre-decisions. Um, one of those for me is I will listen before I talk. Uh, you, maybe you've guessed this already. I majored in speech education and my master's is in communication arts. So I like to talk <laughs> and I make my living as a speaker. And uh, sometimes it's hard for me to not give an opinion and to listen because Gene processes a little more slowly than I like to listen. <laughs> and so yeah. I have to be very intentional about making that pre-decision. I will hear him out. I will hear what he has to say without offering an opinion before he's through explaining his thought. <laughs> and believe it or not, that's hard for me. Yeah. And uh, you know, something that's hard for men especially is to respond tenderly to our spouse. Is, you know, we just have that in us. But, when we feel like we're in an argument or something. And so we, we tend to get too vociferous. We tend to get too belligerent 
We tend to get too loud and we don't respond tenderly. If we can bring our emotions back down, and I find if I put my hand on the back of uh, uh, Carol's neck in a tender way, and we have our, our little uh, you know, unspoken responses of how we uh, let the other person know that we love them, even though we're in the midst of this terrible dilemma and we're trying to figure this thing out together. Well, I think too, we, we are really, it's really important that we find out what our, our spouse's love language is. And Jean knows I respond very well to words of affirmation and to human touch. And so if he can combine both of those, even if we have had a disagreement due to the outside pressure in our case of the many decisions we've had to make because our son has a life sentence and, oh, there have been struggles that we never dreamed we would face because of that. But if he puts a loving hand over my hand or uh, just uh, hugs me closely, I respond well and I listen better that way. Yeah, that's that's good. And I, I, I'm uh, thinking back to your dating story. That's It's fun to hear that because Joanne and I have similar um we met at bible college and ours wasn't quite that strict but um i did get in trouble for having my fingers kind of around uh you know on joanna's shoulder um i got called out one time when we were in because there was no public displays of affection at all allowed so, yeah, yeah. Um, i do remember remember that and i i do like because i you know as joanna and i were were dating too and talking about marriage we we made pre-decisions as well but um, you know, like for us, it was really important, you know, that um, being alone with the opposite sex or driving in a car with, you know, those kind of things, both how it appears and um, different things like that. But there were a lot of areas that I think we just assumed, you know, we didn't talk about it because as Christian couple or, uh, you know, we just assumed they'd be fine. So I love how you kind of really challenge us to think about other areas where we can make those pre-decisions. And so that was really great. And I know for me, in the middle of major events or crisis, I can feel completely overwhelmed. And it's hard to know what to do and, and how to move through uh, to the other side. And, and you teach about simple, simply making the next right choice. Can you help me understand what that means? Hey, I love this idea. And I know that you know Claire DeGraff, who is a... Uh a business guy from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I understand he was pastors of church too, but he came up with uh, a short little book called the 10 second rule. And in the 10 second rule, it, the basis of that just says this, just do the next thing you're reasonably certain Jesus wants you to do and commit to it immediately in the next 10 seconds before you can change your mind. And so often when we think about the needs of somebody that we see, whether, you know, it's somebody at church or it's uh, one of our relatives or it's a friend, uh, we think more about it and we think, well, this won't be received very well. Oftentimes, I believe that that's Satan whispering in our ear, take your time. Don't be too hasty in helping these people. And <laughs> uh, that's not a, often not a good idea. Most of the, many times, I was going to say most, but many times God is just giving us that little nudge saying, hey, you want to help these people right now? And maybe it's a word that you can say. Maybe it's 
some finances that you can help them with. Maybe it's a suggestion about uh, what they can do with the situation that they're in, uh, whatever that might be. But we often take too long in making uh, that kind of decision to help somebody. I'll jump in here for just a moment. Uh, when I think about making the next right choice for that, because Gina and I were in the middle of a situation with our son that was not going to change because we read the Bible and prayed together. Jason has a life sentence. And so the pressure connected to that and the visitation schedules with our busy travel and speaking uh, ministry was really tough to orchestrate. And so we started to choose as our next best and right choice to look around and see one person who needed help worse than we did. And we would start to think of a tangible way we could bless the life of another couple or another individual. And as you can imagine, we spend a lot of time standing in a visitation line at a prison waiting to go through the security process. It can take up to two hours after we've driven an hour and 40 minutes to get to the prison. So that's exhausting. And rules at prisons change all the time. And one of the, the rules that that change are the dress, would be the dress code that they have for letting you get inside. Well, I had been noticing at home that Jean's pile of black t-shirts had been getting shorter and shorter. And I said, honey, I know that dryers eat socks, but what's happening to your t-shirts? <laughs> he said, you'll find out soon enough. Well, a couple of weeks later, we were at the prison standing in line and I saw a woman get turned away and I instantly knew why. Uh, she was at the front of the line, but she had a sleeveless blouse on and it was white and neither white was accepted because you can sometimes see through it and, and being sleeveless, it was not acceptable due to the rule change. And the nearest store is 20 minutes away. So she was going to drive 20 miles to Walmart and have to pick something out and then come back and wait in that line. And suddenly I realized that Gene had disappeared from his place in the line. And I looked out in the parking lot and I saw our trunk up. Well, the next thing I noticed was that Gene had a black t-shirt in his hands. He walked up to the woman. He said, here, ma'am, put this on and go to the front of the line. Have a wonderful visit with your family member. Uh, this is my gift to you today. Well, she put it on and she got through security immediately. He came back to where I was standing in line and I said, so that's what's been happening to your teachers. <laughs> and he looked out and he just said, it's my ministry. Oh, well, one month later, I was speaking in Wisconsin and shared that story. And about four weeks later, I looked out on my porch and there was a big box there. I opened it up and it was filled with black t-shirts and this note was in the top. It said, dear Carol, when you spoke in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, and I heard the story about your husband helping uh, the visitor who couldn't get in because of her clothing challenge, I decided to help. She said, I, I work for Jansport and I can purchase black t-shirts very inexpensively. Please use this donation towards your husband's t-shirt ministry through his trunk distribution program. I hope it blesses some lives. And Rob and Joanna, from that day to this, Jean is known for the t-shirt ministry. And I think about making the next right choice. 
And because I watched my compassionate husband, who it always uh, is looking around to see who has a need and how can we help, uh, because of that, we launched the nonprofit organization speakupforhope.org that benefits inmates and their families. And I think of all of the people listening to us today who are in the middle of their own crisis that has hit their marriage from the outside. And uh, I, I just want to encourage them to look around and say, what's my next right choice that will help others and not, not just help us, but help others. And do you know, in the process of reaching out to somebody else, your spirits are lifted. You know that you are involved in a Christ-centered ministry that becomes the hands and feet of Jesus to others. And in the process, instead of feeling discouraged or depressed, you experience joy. What can be better than that? Hey there, friends. We're taking a short break from this episode to let you know about an excellent marriage resource available to you. After 30 years of marriage, Rob and Joanna Tigan are passionate to help couples draw closer to God and each other every day. And because of this, they have created Mr. and Mrs. 366 Devotions for Couples. This gorgeous book gives you an inspiring scripture, a word of teaching and encouragement, and a prayer to lift up together every day of the year. It's incredible how connecting with God and each other through a daily devotional can transform your marriage and give you hope. You can find Mr. and Mrs. 366 Devotions for Couples at growinghometogether.com or wherever books are sold. Okay, friends, let's get back to the show. Let me just say that I'm, I'm truly sorry for all of the losses that you have experienced through your son being incarcerated. And I'm sure as he serves out his sentence that it's an ongoing source of grief um, that I would guess you're having to cope with over and over again. And we have friends right now going through some incredibly difficult things like losing their parents just much too young. And uh, we know that each individual experiences grief and expresses their grief very differently. Um, how do you think a couple can draw together and meet each other's needs and their grieving despite their differences? Well, I think first of all, uh, wait before you lunge into giving advice. One of the things that was the most hurtful to me personally after Jason's arrest uh, was when people came over and just uh, kept saying things like, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And I thought to myself, even though I've known Jesus since I was five years old, uh, it felt like they were trying to pound scripture into my head that I had already memorized without feeling my pain. And it felt inappropriate and wrong. And so I would just say, silently be there for that person. Uh, we had someone who came in and, and just started um, doing dishes because they knew we would have relatives coming. The shock was so new and they helped get the house in order for family members who would be coming. Somebody else uh, sent a frozen dinner in a big box and uh, she was from Texas and she said, Carol, it's, it's our custom to be there for people and to bring a meal to the house when we have couples who are going through crisis and we can't be there physically. But as you eat this meal, will you know that we're weeping with you, that we are praying for you and we're there for you. 
And those are so such precious things. That's good. I, um, you know, I oftentimes in, in stress and sadness, um, it shows itself up in angry words and responses to each other. And you guys have a unique perspective on anger that while it can be destructive and we, we have to be careful, it can also have some positive uses in our relationship. Um, can you explain how that's true? Hey, we had a special chapter in, in the book, Staying Power, and it's just uh, entitled, Anger is Not the Enemy. Is um, You know, Jesus was angry uh, a few times as he cleansed the temple of the... Uh, the money changers there and some other times, I'm sure. But uh, some of the positive things are anger can provide motivation. You know, it when, when I'm confronted that I find myself being angry about a situation, I say, well, where's that coming from? Mm-hmm. Now, normally it's Carol asking me, you know, very tactfully, <laughs> <laughs> where's this anger coming from, honey? Because you're not normally responding like this. And if I can calm down enough, then I can think about, you know, is that coming from, you know, my, the way my dad treated us boys or, you know, we, we want to blame our parents, right? <laughs> and <laughs> and that's not always the case. Sometimes it's my old sin nature that comes out, but it can be motivating in to causing me and causing you know the, the person who is angry to go into um, figuring out what's going on inside of them. Anger can actually benefit your marriage in that um, you know when we hide our anger, and I know one of these things is is um, I can't read my wife's mind, you know. <laughs> and when I finally realize that, is I need to ask her questions about what's going on and why it feels like she's angry at me, but I don't know why. It, what it is, what did I do? Or what was the circumstances that happened? In other words, anger can actually trigger in your mind, wow, something has gotten my partner, my spouse upset, and it can become a catalyst for conversation if we don't let it escalate. So if when anger emerges, if we can just stop Uh, give ourselves a moment or two to just take a moment and breathe. And then just honestly say, what just triggered that? And I I remember soon after Jason was arrested, um, I was in my master bedroom closet one day and Gene came in and he is actually a wonderful man to live with. I, I really got a good man when I got Gene Kent as my spouse and uh, we have a lot of love, but we were in those first throes of Jason's arrest and it just felt like everything in our lives had turned upside down. And Gene walked in and he nonchalantly said, why don't you get rid of clothes you haven't worn in over a year? And there was something in that comment that made me so angry. And I remember bursting into tears and saying, I keep a very clean house. I only have this one little closet where I have a little clutter. Can't you get over it? <laughs> and then I found myself falling into his arms and, and we both wound up weeping. And we looked at each other and said, that really isn't the issue, is it? And we realized that if we look beneath those angry comments, probably they were triggered 
by whatever that crisis is that has come into your life that has caused unrest, it's caused an inability to make decisions quickly, and it's the kind of thing that isn't going to go away quickly in terms of what the pressure is. And so in the middle of that, if you can use anger to help you to put a pause there so you can talk civilly to each other and say, what are we going to do with what's happened? What is one next step that we can take that will put us in a forward direction because we love each other and we are in this together. Carol, there's a great verse or passage from uh, James 1, 19 and 20. And it just says, everyone should be quick to listen. And sometimes that's true to me, for me, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Right. Yeah. That is just really good and practical advice because those emotions are going to come. They just are. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. You know, one of my most favorite phrases from your book, which I couldn't put down, honestly, <laughs> is you put this challenge to husbands and wives to be unoffendable. And I just love that word. It's almost like you're encouraging us to prepare forgiveness in advance before our partner has even done anything to hurt us. Um, so tell us what it means to be unoffendable in a marriage and what are the steps we can take to forgive things that have happened in the past? Well, I think one of the most important things it has to do with that predecision, Joanna, of saying, I will be unoffendable, meaning Bottom line is I love Gene Kent with my heart, my mind, my body, my soul. He is my spouse for life. And even though there are days when he can be a little irritating and that can be prompted often by this crisis that has hit our lives, I am going to choose to not let that bother me so much that I quit speaking to him. And I will admit to you right now that when I'm hurt, I go into the silent treatment. And I hate to say it, but there have been days of my life when I was not speaking so long, I forgot why I wasn't speaking. It was just the principle <laughs> that mattered. And I hope I've grown a whole lot in recent years. And I have tried to, I, since I know that's the pattern I take when I'm, when I'm hurt, that I go into that silent mode. Uh, if I can choose ahead of time to say, Carol, you know, Gene Kent loves you dearly. Choose to be unoffendable. Um, he just said something in a tone of voice that hurt you, but he didn't even realize he was saying it in a tone that wasn't really the, the way you best receive what he has to say. And so with choosing to be unoffendable, we then give our spouses breathing room and we acknowledge that they are not always going to have the right tone of voice. They're not always going to perfectly agree with what we think is the best decision and we give them some grace. And if there are times when the offense, when it comes to forgiveness is great, and uh, when you feel like your spouse has made a terrible decision, realize that forgiveness is, does not negate a wrong done to you, but it sets you free from bitterness. It sets you free from a feeling of getting revenge. And it actually will then become the most healing thing that you could ever imagine when you choose to stay unoffendable and you forgive freely. 
Yeah, that's that's really good because I, you know, I think um, a lot of what you're talking about is is setting kind of that strong foundation and making choices when you know when the love is alive and you're not thinking about these things. You know, when you're going through the dating process and the the honeymoon and all these things, you're not thinking oftentimes that there's going to be crisis, but those foundation things that you set early on um, are going to be, you know, if I can, can learn not to be offended by something Joanna says, like you said, where she's not intentionally, if I can tell myself, okay, that wasn't intentional. And then when we are in crisis, we've, we practice the tools and practice loving each other in a way so we can withstand the storm together. So I, I, I love that. Yeah, and Carol, I think we have that in common that my response to pain is often to get super quiet and to pull away from people. And, you know, it's sometimes hard for me to know how to connect with Rob and hard for him to know how to connect with me when my emotions are in a hard place. But you offer a lot of practical tips. Just how do you do it? How do you connect in the middle of the mess? And we were hoping you could share some of those tips with us today. Well, one of those things is to serve while suffering and it gets the focus off us. And uh, we talked earlier about finding one person who needs help worse than, than, or more deeply than we do and more urgently than we do. But if we can keep our focus on serving others, it allows us to partner with God and it produces incredible blessing. Uh, there's a scripture that has been so meaningful to me on this note, and it's from Luke 6, 38. Give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting is the way. Generosity begets generosity. And so as we begin to serve others, it gets our focus off our own challenges and onto to someone else. And let's start that with each other. Um, one of the things Gene started doing was to make the coffee. And he actually makes it the night before. So he presses a button in the morning and it, it drips through that pot. And he brings me coffee in bed every morning. And after Jason was arrested and we were in so much pain, we felt like we could hardly breathe. He would bring me coffee and often without words, he would he would rub my feet or he would put his hand on my arm. And it was such a comfort and it was a tangible way that, that he showed his love for me. And it was a tangible way that he was saying, I understand we're in too much pain to even talk right now, but at least we are physically present together and we are going to do it. We talk in the book about an articulate silence and sometimes it's those things that we do, like lighting a candle, maybe a scented candle in your spouse's favorite scent. Um, or it might be filling the gas tank when you know your spouse has an early morning the next, the next day. It might be uh, doing the dishes, even if it's not your time, or loading that dishwasher. Um, my wonderful spouse, when I'm on a writing deadline, this guy does the laundry because he knows that I'm on a tight deadline and it's something he can do for me. And you know what? I even know how to se separate colors now. <laughs> wow, I'm impressed. Okay. Well, you, you'll have to teach me. 
<laughs> so I think, you know, when you have that sense of we're partners, we are in this together, and there are going to be times when you are sad and when I'm not having as bad a day, and there's a rhythm to sorrow. And when you're going through tough times, sometimes Jean will have a very optimistic day, but I will have walked by a closet and I'll see my son's Naval Academy uniform. And it puts me into this deep sadness over all of his losses. And those are times when, when you can help each other in a way that you serve one another because it is really good that you're not both down on the same day. And we've, we've discovered walking together helps so much. We have a little three mile walking uh, course that we take and we live very near a, a little shopping center where we can get a cup of coffee a mile and a half into our walk. And it, what it does, it allows us to pray out loud for each other and for our crisis with our eyes wide open while we're on that walk. And I might start out and say, Lord, would you just bless Jason today? You know, he's in the prison with all of these aggressive maximum security inmates. Would you be his protector? And Jean will come in and say, Lord, would you bless my 92-year-old mother? She's so lonely. Help, help her to feel encouraged by someone who stops by today. And then I'll start praying. And that, I believe, has been one of the richest new almost daily activities that we do that has been uh, putting us in a, a direction toward healing and hope in our marriage when this outside crisis came. Yeah. You know, uh, for me, the reason your book rings so true is that you're basing it on the advice of what, what the Bible, what scripture already gives us. And you're teaching us to take the scripture and apply them in our real world uh, love for each other and and love each other like Jesus. So how did two the two couples grow closer together and God and trust him as a couple through this crisis? You know, just as Carol said, just um, one of the things is to pray together. And men, I don't know why it is, but it seems like men are more reticent to pray, whether it's praying out loud or just take the time to pray with their spouse. And, you know, it doesn't have to go on for 15 or 20 minutes. It can be a short prayer to take time to do that together. Another thing that we have done ever since we were, before we got married, back there in the dating parlor, is we love to goal plan for life. What we're going to do, you know, say for the next year, what's our plan for five years from now or 20 years from now? And now that we're later on in life, well, I don't know that we're planning out 20 years from now. But, <laughs> but one of the things that Jean is very good at that I am far less good at is bringing fun and adventure into our marriage. And when you live in a hard place, it's very important to plan celebration and uh, there are couples who have more than one child. And let's say the outside force that has hit one of them is a drug addicted child. And so all of your focus is on trying to help the child who's in crisis when there are other children in your home who need attention. They're having birthdays, they're having school programs and award ceremonies. So it's so important to plan for celebration, even though you are in pain. 
And God does this wonderful thing in us. We know the Bible says a merry heart does good like medicine and the body releases endorphins that actually aid in the healing process and give you a sense of well-being when you laugh. And so try to plan splashes of joy in each other's lives. And it can be in small ways or large ways. Um, we find it doesn't take a lot of money to do that. It, it might be just uh, maybe for an hour, go out and just have a fast food meal together. If you can get away and it takes some of the pressure off. And uh, I find when you're in that serving others mode, serving while suffering, babysit for somebody who is a single mom who is having pressure and has two kids and she just needs some time alone to take a bath uh, babysit for her take those kids out so be as creative as you can about helping others who may have had marriages hit by crises and then be intentional with each other as well yeah i i really resonate with what you're saying and that's something that i really appreciate about Rob is he, he really does try to set himself up for success. So if there's mm -hmm. days where work is really bearing down, or there's some of these outside stressors you're talking about, and he knows the odds are probably pretty high that he might take his stress out on me or, you know, kibosh our good day together, just because it's a hard day. He, he makes himself go out for a run like all the time. And he knows if I have this physical exercise, it's going to boost those endorphins, like you're saying, and he's going to come back way, way um, better prepared to just cope with things together. And, yes. and Rob, like you say, he, um, he's more of a planner than I am. And he, he's like, we're going to put the fun on the calendar, like you're saying. And I think I would probably <laughs> lean toward being spontaneous and then it might never happen. So I really appreciate um, that Rob, yeah, he's a student. He reads like, what can I read that's going to help me connect with God today? What can I read that's going to equip me as a husband today? You know, what can I do to protect my time with Joanna today? And it really uh, fits in line with what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks, honey. So um, you're, you're worth, you're worth it. So, um, <laughs> you so. know, and most of us don't put enough effort into this relationship. We, you know, as men, we get stuck in our, our business life and our professional life and then come home and we have leftovers, uh, you know, the leftover energy that we have anyway for our family or for our spouse. And uh, we're all so guilty of that and that rush, rush, rush that, that we're in uh, to be successful in life. Yeah. And, and we don't end up putting enough effort into it. Yeah. And, you know, Joanna and I have been talking about that a lot lately because our life just seems to get busier and um, it's so easy. And, you know, I think for me, especially to get focused on the tasks and on uh -huh. the productivity and things like that. And so we're always thinking it's, it's like, well, like one or the other. Right. And so Joanna and I have been talking about the importance of, of um, realizing that we're always going to have tasks to do and things to do, but it's the spirit behind it. Are we, are we loving and serving? Are we putting those tasks ahead of loving people and loving each other and things like that? And so, um, I think it's the spirit in which we, we lead. So, um, but this has been so encouraging, um, everything you guys have shared today. And I know for me, it's motivated me to keep, 
a real soft heart towards Joanna and get myself ready to serve her well, no matter what comes our way. And, you know, I'm sure our listeners today are feeling the same way. And um, I'm just wondering if you two, um, as we wrap up here, would be willing to pray for our friends who are listening, who who desire a stronger marriage or, or going through some of those crises and are trying to, to navigate those and stay um, close together and close to God. We would love to. Thank you, Robin, Joanna. Father, we just thank you for this uh, privilege that we've had to share together with this couple in Michigan as we just talk about uh, marriage and staying power and uh, building a relationship that is strong, which is what you want to see in our marriages. Father, I thank you for uh, bringing the woman into my life that you did, Lord, these, these many years ago. Father, as, as we just think together right now, we know there's listeners out there, and we know that um, so many are putting up with such difficult situations with COVID going on and the pandemic that's taken place, that uh, work interruptions, school interruptions, and how this has all affected all of our families. Father, I pray that you'd be with that husband and that wife right now as they're trying to figure out how do we bring stability into our marriage and into our family for our kids, which is so necessary today. Lord, I thank you for the fact that in the midst of all of this, uh, that you're there with us. And sometimes we forget that, that the God of the universe is here beside us and wants to give us wisdom and creativity uh, to solve problems, to uh, just help us uh, show care and love to one another. Lord, thank you for this hour together. In Jesus' name, I pray. And Father, I just tag on and I say thank you for giving me Jean Kent as a spouse. Thank you for Rob and Joanna and for the way they encourage couples to stay together, even when it's tough, and to trust biblical principles. Lord, I pray for the one who's listening right now who says, my marriage is in crisis and I need help. Lord, I pray that you would be the lifter of his or her head and that you would give them wisdom to know what their next right choice is as they seek to find answers in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm, amen. You know, I know that our friends are going to want to connect with you even more and also get their own copy of Staying Power. So where is the best place to connect with you online? Well, they can go to carolkent.org, that's C-A-R-O-L-K-E-N-T dot O-R-G. And uh, it is, the book is also available wherever books are sold and at many online resources like Amazon or Christian book distributors. That's carolkent.org. And uh, in the back of the book, uh, Robin Joanna, there are crisis help sheets that give people instant resources where they can find answers if they're dealing with some tough issues right now. So we hope that will be an added benefit and bonus for those who are interested in learning more about how to hold on when you're in the middle of an outside crisis in your marriage. That's great. Thanks so much. We really appreciate talking to you and uh, for you sharing uh, your word with us today. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you, Robin Joanna. And thank you, podcast. Uh, Rob and I would love to connect with you over on our website at growinghometogether.com 
where we have a free marriage devotional for you and all kinds of resources to help you connect with God, connect with your kids, and with each other. At Growing Home Together, we're caring for the soul of your family and growing home together with you. 